I would say that the, the best thing that you can do is learn to be good with other people. And because this is a people business and, you know, what we do, the, the fun aspect of it, be it EMS, rescue, hazmat, fire, whatever it is, that really is a small piece. Even when EMS says, hey, we, we're 80% of the job, you know, going on incidents is a small piece of what we do as leaders, as company officers and battalion chiefs. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Kitchen Table. In this podcast, we sit down with our guests to have real and honest conversations to talk all things leadership. We're here today to talk all good things, controllable factors, non-negotiable behaviors, tips for our fire service leaders, as well as to listen to the unique stories, messages, and philosophies on leadership from our guest. Today on The Kitchen Table, we welcome Battalion Chief Rob Fisher, a suburban firefighter from the Pacific Northwest. He's been a student of the fire service for 35 years. He currently serves as a battalion chief with the Snohomish Regional Fire and Rescue, where prior to being promoted to battalion chief, he spent 20 years as a company officer, 15 of those years assigned to the department's only ladder company. He is a member of his county's regional technical rescue team and the department peer support coordinator. Last year, Chief Fisher was assigned as the chief of the Snohomish County Fire Training Academy for class 2301 and 2302. Rob Fisher instructs for multiple groups outside of work. He's affiliated with, with Brothers in Battle, County Fire Tactics, Roof Pervs, and the Cowieway Men. He co-administers a few social media groups focused on truck company operations and is the co-founder of Young Officers on Fire, an online mentoring leadership group. Chief Fisher's been an active member with the Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society, Fools, since 2002. He is active within his local chapter, the Puget Sound Fuels. Rob has been on the International's e-board since 2013 as the Education Training Chair. In 2022, he accepted a new position within the International as a West Coast Region Representative. When not instructing or talking shop, Rob enjoys traveling with his wife, Jody. They have been married for 30 years with an adult, with an adult son, daughter-in-law, and have two wonderful granddaughters. He enjoys cooking, wine, music, and spending time with his granddaughters. Good morning, Chief Fisher. Thank you so much for being a guest on the kitchen table today. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be on here, brother. Oh, thank you. I'll start off with this. Perhaps the best uh, aspect in the fire service. I'll start with, you know, the connections and the networks. You know, I reached out to you. I don't know what month it was. It was probably in the spring. And uh, I remember you You emailed and you, you had no idea who I was, right? I was just, you know, this blanket email. And then you emailed me well, probably within two hours, right? And it was like, I'd love to be on the show. And, you know, obviously, you know, busy lives, you know, we, we, we didn't get a chance to put something on the calendar. And then you reached out to me about a month later. You're like, hey, we still doing this? I'm like, I didn't even know you remembered who I was. And then, and then, and then here we are. I mean, we've had, uh, thanks for, you know, the recommendations, you know, the, the nine L's from Corley Moore. I listened to the weekly scrap, the thing you recommended. And the coolest thing that I want to mention that before, before we truly get going here is, is, you know, I've reached out to yourself, right. Individuals like, you know, Frank Vescuso, Rick Lassie, Jason Hovelman, you know, Jeremy Sanders. It's like the connections. Like I, I noticed you, you'll be here and then you, you, you go to a workshop or a podcast. It's like, Oh, there he is again. There he is again. And it's truly, it's humbling to just to know that the, the leaders in the fire service are willing to give, you know, we're here, your free time, right? You're here to, to share a message of philosophy, to talk to our emerging leaders, you know, that listen to this show. And it's truly humbling. So I just want to start off and say thank you for joining today. And uh, I'm excited for this conversation. So. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I remember when 
you sent the email because I was doing um I was doing a video podcast with Frank Viscuso and that's right and my co-founding brother um Ryan Selleck for Young yeah. Officers on Fire. And we were we were doing that. And then once it got done, I because I was at the Academy. Um and once it got done, I saw your email and I went, Oh, I'd love to do another one. Yeah. And that's uh basically that's yeah. that's the beginning. And you and I talked, yeah, you know, back and forth throughout the summer trying to just nail this thing down yeah. and uh with my life the way that it is, um, you know, I live, I live in Vegas and I work up here in Washington and, um, I'm getting, I'm getting into the, uh, the, if, if, if the old guys will remember this or gals too, the Jake break is on, I'm, I'm coming to yeah. a stop yeah. and retirement's just right around the corner. So my wife and I, we moved to Vegas, our son's yeah. down there, our grandkids are down there. And yeah. so, um, so it's a busy summer and it's trying to get back and forth. And I work up here for a period of time and I'm, I'm away yeah. and enjoying. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, Vegas, and you're at the tail end, and that's why I'm so excited about this conversation. The perspective we talk hugely about. But before we get going, uh, maybe share a little bit more about Battalion Chief Rob Fisher. You know, the department you're in, some of your projects, and then we'll just dive right into this leadership conversation. Yeah. Well, first of all, before I do that, I want to. I just I am very fortunate to be able to do a lot of these things and go to a lot of these conferences because of my wife. Uh, she's super supportive of the fire service. And without her, um, I wouldn't be able to do these things. And now in, in that she's retired, uh, she does her own thing, um, with a, an organization called, um, fire wife life, which is tied mm-hmm. to fire life, uh, training, but, um, but without her support, I wouldn't be able to do these things. So I'm very fortunate, but, um, what my department, Snohomish regional fire and rescue is a merged department over the last handful of years, I started with uh, Snohomish County Fire District 7 as a resident, live-in resident back in the late 80s, got hired on, uh, promoted fairly quickly to company officer. Um, the department was growing, the area was growing. And then um, in the last uh, handful of years, like I said, we've um, we've merged with uh, Monroe and Lake Stevens. Um, we've grown as an organization. So we're uh, 250, 300, 300 members, 10 stations. Um, 20 some thousand calls a year, 160 square miles. Um, I'm a ship battalion in the West battalion. We have three ship battalions. Mm. Um, I've been in the training division on and off throughout my entire career. Like in, in the intro, I spent majority of my time with, uh, on the ladder truck. And so, you know, a lot of my focus is on truck company operations. Um, again, training outside training. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be with some really cool groups. And, uh, I kind of like on the coattails of a lot of these really awesome, uh, instructors. And, uh, I think they keep me around cause I'm like, uh, the grandfather that can tie old stories to back in the day, which it's not really back in the day, but, um, and still, you know, I can still do some of these skills and, you know, tell a good story. So. Thank you. Um, mentorship is, is kind of what I thought of when you said the whole grandfather thing, because that's it, what it's all about is it's, 30 some years in and out of the train division obviously you have a lot to give back and uh we'll get into that because i love the mentorship piece a lot i listen to a lot of um the shows that you've been on and i know you talk huge into mentorship and followership but before we get there i mentioned the connections i met and the relationships one of your main topics that you wanted to talk about was developing relationships so let's just dive right there talk about the importance of relationships how it's treated you how to how it's helped you navigate the successes in your career but also the importance of building relationships in the fire service and what it can do for emerging leaders. Yeah. Well, I would say probably the, 
number one thing you can do as a leader or somebody that aspires to be a leader is to is to network and and build relationships and that goes in so many different ways i mean when you look at high performing teams it's about relationships because it's about trust and and without trust you you know without a relationship you can't build trust so i would say that the the best thing that you can do is learn to be good with other people and because this is a people business and you know what we do the the fun aspect of it be it ems rescue hazmat fire whatever it is that really is a small piece even when ems says hey we we're 80% of the job you know going on incidents is a small piece of what we do as leaders as company officers and battalion chiefs but everything that we do deals with people in the firehouse in your department in your region in your state nationally it just all depends on what level you want to be involved in um and then you know we're in we're in the the business of serving people and so without relationships you really can't get anywhere in life and and it's i mean it seems so you know so easy simple you know so but it, but it really is and and i i mean i'll tie it to i i'm connected across the nation and i'm very fortunate to but you know the the internet in social media is a double-edged sword. And if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I mean, I'm a, I'm in a, at the time I was in a small department that was five stations that probably was doing, you know, 5,000 calls a year. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't on a very busy department and I wasn't in, you know, in an urban area that was just job town USA. I wasn't. And so through relationships, through networking, through teaching, being a good, you know, good at my job and being able to share it. And even though that I wasn't, you know, the best of the best, but I was able to share a lot of the information that opened the doors for me to to have this network. And then through snow, through the social media connections, it just, it got bigger. And, and, and I will, I will say my, the, the person that let me in and really gave me my start was Ed Hatfield from uh, Firetown. And Firetown had been in this region for a while in, in the early, early 2000s. And uh, he brought me on to be an instructor. And then I met Josh Materi and Tommy Hofflin and Todd Burnett and some, you know, big names, uh, uh, Steve Reno, who works with Bellevue Fire. Um, and and those guys really got me started. And then from there, you know, yeah. being able to get on with Brothers in Battle and 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 the relationship with Cody and Andrea, his wife, um, it's a family oriented and then County fire tactics with uh, Kurt Isaacson and his wife, mm-hmm. Jessica. I mean, the thing that I've, I've noticed with these teams that I'm on right now, it's yeah. family. It's yeah. all about family. And, um, and, and so going right back to relationships, yeah. you've got to develop relationships and you've got to be a part of some type of tribe. Yeah. And one of my favorite books is, is tribe by Sebastian younger. And when you understand the benefit of being a part of a tribe or of a family or of a, you know, a special group that identifies, you know, even with a handshake, a coin or whatever yeah. it is, the t-shirt, okay. whatever it is. But when you're a part of something like that, yeah. uh, it just ends up like wildfire just spreads and you, you end up getting more and more relationships across the nation. Talk a little bit about how your, your journey in, in being an instructor, not everyone gets a fortunate opportunity to become an instructor or somebody better expert let alone the opportunities that come with that to be able to connect with 
instructors outside your department. I've, you know, I'm fortunate that I, you know, as part of, I'm part of a training division for the second time in my career. Some of my biggest, closest relationships are from the other training officers and from people that are outside my fire department, right? I have some of my, my mentors I mentioned earlier offline is, wasn't even a chief from my fire department. And he, you know, he was from a fire department 40 miles, not 40 miles, 20 miles south of where I'm at. But developing those relationships outside, talk about, you know, that mentorship piece, bringing up others below you. I know you mentioned, um, you do the, uh, what, what would you, the, uh, the young officers on fire. I'm going to lean yeah. on that. I want to, I want to learn more about that, but talk a little bit about the mentorship piece, the importance of fo- being a good follower, but also bringing up others along the way. Yeah. So the a number one principle of leadership is to develop your people, or I should say one of the top things that you should be doing as a leader is developing people. And I was real fortunate in uh, my organization. Um, one of the lieutenants that I drove for, her name was Janet Jager. She was the first female hired in Snohomish County. And um, she was awesome. I enjoyed working for for Janet. Um, she taught me a lot about humility and about you know being a good person. And she promoted a battalion chief. I promoted a lieutenant. And within a couple of years, I was I was one of her company officers and working for her. So, um, you know, the the ability to develop people is is basically it's 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 the one of the number one things that a, that, a you know, a leader needs to do. It's across the board. And, and if you lead, if you're reading stuff on corporate America business or if you're reading military stuff, I mean, it's always one of the tenements of of being a leader. So um, I, I mean, I got fortunate that um, when, you know, when I got connected with Firetown and all these other ones, I ended up finding these mentors, these individuals that worked in different parts of the country that were doing things different than me. And they were giving me information. They were treating me with respect, you know, and, and I would be teaching a class and helping out. And I would just like, you know, I work for a small, I wouldn't even say suburban department, I work for a small five station department. And, uh, and a lot of these guys would say, Hey, you need to lift, you need to stand up taller and be more confident. You're here for a reason. And that just because you work for the small department or you work for the biggest department, in, you know, in the world, it doesn't really matter. So I started to see the respect that they were giving me started to see that how they were treating me. And that really just kind of stuck with me. And so Early on as a company officer, I really started hanging on to that. And I really didn't understand leadership. I mean, our, at the time, all the all the company officer books that you were reading for, you know, the IFSAC, Fire Officer 1, Fire Officer 2, stuff, it's just, it was just crap. I mean, it was really wasn't much in it. Um, information, right? Interesting. Yeah. It was just, and it was terrible. It wasn't, it wasn't even latest and greatest. But so I started to do my own little journey and, and started understanding these things. And then in about uh, 2009, we had just done a large hire. We got a, a federal grant, one of the firefighter assistant grants, and we hired um, 16, 18, 16. I can't remember exactly what the number was. We hired a large number, biggest hire we'd ever done. Mm-hmm. And they were just coming off of a pretty high intense. We, we have a high intense um, uh, probation period. And so there's a lot of stuff they got to do. And they were just coming off of it. And so me and another officer were talking about mentoring and how can we, can we try this thing called mentoring? I've read about it. I've, the military talks about it. My wife worked in corporate America and she, she talked about it. And one of my best buddies was a, a director at, at Starbucks. Everybody's talking about mentoring. And I, I, you know, I was like, this, it's, it's like this special recipe. 
And the reality is it, it wasn't. We put together a mentoring group with a couple of individuals, a couple of company officers. We did that for a year and we did, we just had a blast. And, and what it was, was like-minded individuals that had maybe some differing values, but we, we all wanted to be better. We all enjoyed the job and we were sharing stuff. Yeah. And then as senior members, the mentor, if you will, we were just kind of like given topics, being a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And they probably thought we were just teaching them everything. And the reality is I was learning as I was going yeah, about, about a lot of things. And, and really like today with the mentoring group, young officers on fire. And, you know, I get called all the time from, from individuals that I've never really met in person that they, Hey, you have, I got, I got a couple questions and, and I try to give as much time as I possibly can. And, and, you know, I'll send them a zoom link and say, Hey, let's, let's connect and let's talk. Um, the reality is, is that it just giving, if you believe in something, if you really love something, like I really love the fire service, then just talking to people and listening to them. And then, you know, not trying to fix their problems, but trying to get them to see their problem, giving them perspective on their the situation that they're in or what they're trying to do, if they're trying to change hose beds or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and really it comes down to going back to that, that first piece that I told, told you about is like building confidence within them. So mm -hmm. they feel like they can, they can resolve their own problem. Yeah. And I love that. And I, I get, that. I get, I get guys that tell me, Hey man, I appreciate your mentoring. I said, well, to me, it was just a conversation that I was doing with a glass of wine in my hand I and it. I enjoyed talking to you. I love it. That's it's being intentional about it. Well, so the mentoring group in 2009, that was that an informal thing or was that a formal thing put together by the department? Or was it just a bunch of, uh, of, of members in the organization that said, let's just, let's do this. Let's, let's run with this. That's because it's for the greater good and let's go. Was that formal or was that just, Hey, let's go and do this. And then it, did it was fire. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I would say it was informal because um, the three individuals that were working on it with me, we basically had a conversation and, and I didn't want, you know, you know, I didn't want to have the union control it. And so I said, if we run it through the department, then there's going to be certain stipulations and, and I didn't want any controls because it was the first time we were doing something. Yeah. We'd never had done it before. And Love so it. it was all volunteer. The, awesome. the mentees were volunteer. All the mentors were volunteer. Um, we met regularly, they did presentations, we had study groups, we had book reading right. sessions, we had, um, Love it. my buddy was working at Starbucks at the time. So we went and toured all of the, um, of Starbucks corporate downtown Seattle, got to meet with a couple of vice presidents on innovation and, and leading people. And, yeah. um, it was, it was just, it was really, really cool. And we got done with it and, uh, did a presentation for at, um, FRI, um, you know, at the I chiefs, it used to be called I chiefs yeah. on mentoring and, and what our experience was. And then at, after that, we, you know, I, I continued doing it, but just on my own. Yeah. And, um, and then I ran into to Ryan, Ryan actually called me up, Ryan Selleck. He called me up yeah. one time and wanted to do a ride along with me as a battalion. And now I, I saw, I kind of saw him and me or me and him rather. Yeah. He called me up and said, Hey, I, I, I want to, I, I'd like to just, you know, I'd like to just ride along with you and just talk to you and That's awesome. see, see what you're doing. I'm like, so he took time out of his day. He drove, he, he's in Eastern Washington. So he drove across That's the mountains awesome, yeah. and rode with me. And we stayed up until, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night talking. He'd been there all day. Yeah. And, uh, and that led to, he, he started young officers on fire, the, the, the page. And then 
we turned it into a mentoring leadership group and, and, you know, basically co-founded it. And, and now we do, we do it online and we do, um, we have group sessions every quarter. Uh, we do it over Zoom. Uh, we bring in, you know, some type of influential leader to discuss an element like we had uh, Chief Scott Thompson yeah. talk about mentoring and his mentoring guide. Mentoring guide, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's this, I, so this, now you're talking about Young Officers on Fire now, yes? Yeah, yeah. So we created Young Officers on Fire last ha- handful of years ago. But yeah. but the you know going back to your your first part of the question is yeah that was that was informal just because we were trying to learn i was trying to learn and i just okay. i wanted to make sure that i had control over what we were going to do yeah so that um you know i i just didn't want to get it bogged down with yeah. with the department with the training division with the union and everything and so yeah, yeah it was informal i love that i mean it's it's i lo- I, lo- I love how you're you're willing to say that you know it was I, I just wanted to to get it done, right? Because we 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 do it all the time. Yeah, some, I think sometimes we don't recognize that we we mentor people all the time. Like often, you know, how, you know, sometimes it's like, well, make sure when you do this project or work on this assignment that you you know your department or the union supports you, so you're getting paid. And it's like, well, I'm not gonna because if they say no, it's like, well, is that gonna stop you from developing yourself and others? It's like we're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna. We're going to study at home. We're going to make ourselves better, right? We're going to, if it's our friend or our buddy, that's going to, you know, inspiring to take a, you know, promotional exam as an example, we're going to bring them to Starbucks and we're going to study anyway. Right. So it's like, sometimes getting caught up in process stops us from doing what we actually want to do, but we're going to do it anyway. So let's just, let's make it happen. So that's why I was wondering about the informal thing. At what point did it become formal to where it's like, okay, we have a mentoring program if you will it's bought in by everybody because if it's not we're just going to do it anyway so let's just let's just formalize it more yeah i will say the lesson the lesson that we learned is we when we went into it we said hey we're going to assign an individual to so a, a mentee to a mentor yeah and um that didn't work out so well because you know it, it's it's relationship based so it goes back to relationships again yeah. and um and this is a struggle that we've had all the time with it. Um, so my department does a formal mentoring um, kind of thing with probies. So when a probie comes on, they come yeah. out of the academy, they get assigned somebody that was recently have been through the probation. Okay. And so another firefighter, a senior firefighter, and they're assigned them. But it's different in that, you know, true mentorship is me as a mentor or as a mentee looking for somebody that can help me with a, a concept. So yes. it, it's completely, you know, relationship based. Whereas at the department, the one that they're doing at the department, the more formal one, which is a lot like corporate America, you like get a, a task is. book. Yeah. yeah. It's like, Hey, here's your task book. You're going to mentor with, yeah. you know, with Fisher. And, and all I'm doing is just going through this stuff. We have no relationship. We don't go out and talk. We don't do things outside of work. It's just relationship. And so that's kind of the mentor program that we currently have for the probies is to help keep them on track, yeah. have somebody that they can talk to, they can, you know, share information with. Um, but the informal aspect of it, which is what we're doing with young officers on fire and, you know, and what I, what I do on the side, just with, you know, anybody that basically reaches out when they show me that they have you know, they're going to make a sacrifice and they're going to spend the time and the effort and that I'm willing to give them the time and the effort. But, yeah. you know, it is like, it's not me going out. Hey, who wants to be mentored? Anybody here want to be mentored? Right. No, I, I don't do that. And you're, and you're right. When you were talking about we're mentoring all the time, your relationships at the fire station, be it that you're a senior firefighter or you're a company officer, 
the things that you're doing, like as a company officer that should be developing the next leaders, you might have a couple of senior firefighters that you really connect with and you know you share the same values. Your conversations are on another level than just if I was a company officer saying, you know, like, hey, I'm going to help you with some things completely different. So again, it is so relationship based Love it. that, um, it, it, I mean, it's, it, again, it, go back to the very beginning. Yes. It is, it is the foundation for leadership is relationships. It's building relationships. So, so basically what you're saying is there's an element of it, 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 it has to be informal to an extent. It has to be just, you know, let's, you, you want to get better. Let's, let's just go, let's go make it happen. Let's not wait for a process. Let's not wait for, to be supported by this group. You want to become better. Let's go voluntary. Let's go kind of thing. And and I love that piece. It's just like, you know, athletes, you, you, you watch sports, bro. I watch. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, as you know, right. There's, there's the regimen of, you know, the organization says, here's your workouts, here's your practice, but those greats, if you will, have a different regimen. They're doing above and beyond. They're getting up earlier than everybody else. They're staying later. There's, there's the minimum and then there's just, I'm going to do extra because that's what it's all about. It doesn't have to be formal. Everything Let's there's an element of, all right, let's just, let's, let's do extra. Let's do more. The next piece, which I, which I love um, because you're probably only the second or third person that's mentioned it, but you know, you go back 20 years, no one talked about this, but now we talk about it all the time. We talk about the soft skills of the job of the trade, right? We, we, we talk, you know, you got to know how to throw ladders, you know, take a hydrant, all that stuff, but we're talking emotional intelligence. Here's a topic that you want to discuss. And, and we could probably discuss this for an hour, but we'll see where it goes. Let's talk about emotional intelligence and what that means to Chief Rob Fisher. Oh man, what is what does it mean to me? Um, I will say I didn't know anything about emotional intelligence until um until I went to the LAFD Leadership Academy in 2017. So I was very fortunate to run into somebody that told me about it. I don't remember who was the first person. And they said, "Hey, there, there, there's a, there's another brother up in Washington that went to the academy, and there's been a handful of us from here, from the Pacific Northwest, that have gone down to LA mm-hmm. and, and attended their leadership academy. Uh, long story short, about the leadership academy, um, it's built off of West Point's um, uh, PL 300 book on leadership. It's what the cadets, their junior year, I can't remember what they're called. There's a certain name. They're plebes when they're freshmen, but I can't remember what they're called as juniors." But uh, they go through this uh, training and it's their leadership training. And uh, the LEFD basically went back to to West Point, went through the program and developed it. And and basically you go over um, you go over these behaviors of leadership. And one of the behaviors in there was emotional intelligence. So that was the first time that I had heard about it. It seemed a little weird for me, but um but it's it's built off of basically five principles, and that's self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Yep. And really what it's what it talks about is your ability to control your emotions, your ability to understand everybody else's emotions and what's going on, your ability to to stay motivated, which is, you know, simply said. And then, you know, the social aspect. and and I think that's where people where firefighters really don't understand is, our, our social skills and how we, how we work together in the, in the fire station um, and how much of an impact it has. And you can probably see it a lot more these days because when I came into the fire service um, and this is like the, Hey, I, I, I walked uphill, you know, in the snow, both ways <laughs> to school. But um, when I, when I came into the fire service, there was very few cell phones and they were cell phones and the internet was, you know, fairly small. If there were, you know, if I don't even remember what the internet was like back then, but 
these days there's just so much information out there and so many distractions. And so now we are, we have become a individual, you know, focused society and we're no longer a tribe, you know, going back to one of my favorite books and that we're, we're basically struggling to communicate and to interact with one another. And you, and you can see it. And then you want made it even worse. COVID COVID made it worse. And, and now, I mean, I've got uh, guys that are on the job that they have teenage daughters and teenage sons who have uh, anxiety when they came out of COVID, not because of worrying about COVID and getting sick, it's interacting with people. So, so when we look at emotional intelligence, it's just having an understanding of how I interact with everybody else and, and being willing to, you know, to work on those things. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I read about emotional intelligence was that your EQ, your emotional quotient is two times as valuable than your IQ. And if you really think about it, um, I have a really super smart cousin. He's got his PhD in, in ge- he's a geophysicist, something rather. And basically he was a part of a team that found um, something that had to deal with black holes back in the galaxy. And, um, he is super, super smart. And he's he's socially, he's pretty dang good. But when, you know, there are times as as when, when we're around the family, he's he's strong because he knows everybody. But when we're talking about just general public, he just struggles a little bit. And so it shows the separation or the importance that your social ability, how you can communicate with another person, how you can interact with another person is just as valuable, if not more valuable than how smart you are. And we could even put it on firefighter, you know, put it on the firefighter layman terms. Yes. It's a car salesman. We always joke about, man, that guy's a car salesman. He can sell. Well, Mm -hmm. it's all about relationships. It's all about being able to understand people and understand what gets them going. And you can do just about anything. And as a leader, if you can understand people, Mm -hmm. you can understand what motivates them. You can understand you know, well, you can be empathetic, you know, being empathetic with them and you can understand what is going on in their life gives you perspective on, on them and uh, help you understand them, you know, and you can, all of those things, it just, it's what makes you connected. And and that's when somebody says, man, Rob Fisher is a good person. I, I enjoy working with Rob Fisher. Well, it's because I give time. I listen to them. I, I want to know more about them. I want to understand them on a social level. Um, it, to me, I think it, it is, it's, it's a critical piece It is, and, it is. and, and our firefighters should be, uh, well, Daniel Goldman's the one that wrote the book and, yeah. and it's actually this concept of emotional intelligence as I, you know, study it more has been around since 1909, but it wasn't made popular until 1990. And then Goldman came out with his book in 95, but I would say to, to firefighters is like, pick up a book. I mean, Daniel Goldman's not the only one that's talking about emotional right. intelligence, but it's out there. Start understanding a little bit and start working on some of your, you know, your emotional intelligence skills. Oh, I love that piece. I, I we, we talked about this and I'm, I'm, you might know Benjamin Martin. Um, he mm-hmm. was a guest on here. We talked, you know, this psychology piece. And so I, I leaned on him and to talk exactly about this. So thank you for, for that. So uh, I'm going to ask a question. Um, emotional intelligence required, or let's say this required and strong leaders required skill, if you will. I would say, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, Again, separate leader and manager. So if yeah. we want to talk about somebody that just manages projects and everything, maybe not so much, right? You, you know, you're not leading. You're just yeah. you're just making yeah. sure stuff's getting done. 
But if you're talking about somebody that um, gets out in front and, you know, works with their people and sets the example is, you know, getting their hands dirty as much as the others are to, to a certain level. I mean, I, I know my role as a battalion, it's different than what it was as a company officer. And when I was a company officer, what it was as a firefighter. But if you're wanting to do all those things, you've got to be pretty good with your social skills is what yeah, I would say. Absolutely. And, and so good. Go I was just going to say, and those that I've met that are really good, that can come in and work a room and that can, yeah. can talk and can, can relate to people always, yes. always do good. Now the key piece is, you know, are you a fraud? Are you authentic in all of this? And so if you're just a car salesman and all you're doing is just trying to make a sale and you're not really authentic with it, it's like, then no, I I don't think that's necessary. But, but if you, if you truly are into the mission of what we do in the fire service and the people and the service and all those things, and you're really into developing the future leaders, then by all means, you should be really good with your social skills. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So as you mentioned, Daniel Goldman, you mentioned the book, you know, everyone has the capability of buying the book, YouTubing, looking into what emotional intelligence is. You were uh, part of the LAFD, you know, uh, leadership in 20, 2017, we'll say. But where I'm going with this is without being exposed to it, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, um, taking your own intent to learn about emotional intelligence. Let's just say a group of us aren't exposed to it. It's not prioritized, Right like in company officer training, and it's more of a question than anything, is, is is emotional intelligence taught at any level within a fire department? Is it a requirement to promote? And I guess where I'm going is, but if it's not a part of our development as firefighters, as company officers, as chief officers, how do we build emotional intelligence if we're not doing it intentionally on our own? I think you know, looking at the the five components of emotional intelligence, the one that we probably do or gets regularly discussed without having an official program is self-regulation. And that is just like controlling your emotions, mm-hmm. staying calm, trying to think through a problem, you know, dealing with conflict with, you know, without any emotion. So that gets discussed regularly. I think, yeah. you know, even even without, a you know, an official program. Um, empathy, I, I could say that, you, you know, you're, you, you should, as a, as a young, uh, company officer or, or a senior person testing for company officer, you should learn to be empathetic. I mean, that's what we're in the business for. I mean, we don't have to take on everybody's problems, but you kind of got to understand and we get to see a lot of it. So, um, being able to relate to their problems outside of that i i don't think that we we do a good job in in teaching the, the other elements of no it's getting better yeah definitely. um we're talking about I, it right yeah I, I mean i i've been you know i i promote this all the time when i'm talking to younger firefighters and that are looking at company officer and something like hey read this book look yeah. into this you know start spend some time in these things and and um one thing that gets me in a little bit of trouble is i'm i'm honest to a fault and so i have no problem telling a young firefighter that wants to be a company officer, like socially you're awkward. And I, I'm, I'm telling you this, and hopefully I'm not the first person to tell you this. Here's, here's what you do weird. Yeah. And, and it, and it kind of makes people feel uncomfortable. Sure. And so you gotta, you gotta think about this as you're doing it. And I said, I, I'll help you out any way I can. Yeah. And I recommend you read this book and I recommend you start working on these skills because you're only going to get 
better with time and you, you and if you can understand these things then you're only going to get stronger as a leader and uh so so yeah i i mean i think i think it's getting better and there's yeah. more discussion discussion going on about emotional intelligence and it's it's a but we can talk about it yeah you got to implement it you got to exactly. actually do it yourself no and i love that piece that you got to implement how many times have we you know been at a workshop or a class and you know they'll, they'll give out a book to everybody hey you know what extreme ownership is an example right that's the book that was floating around in 2017 and up to this day everyone read this book great we all read it we talked about it you leave the class no one no one adopts the mindset of owning up to anything it's like what was the point of that class it's like <laughs> you know you got a 20 dollars book and we talked about it for a week but it's not an organizational priority obviously right or you know it's like it, it, it was it was a concept talked about for a week and now it's gone. It's like we don't own up to anything. It's like, okay, it's a waste of time. You got to implement it. So, I, I mean, it's so huge, right? It's one thing to go to a class. It's another thing to take what you learn from the class and adopt that mindset, right? Non-negotiable items, right? I ask uh, this of, of, our, of our guest speakers because there are certain things, according to Rob Fisher throughout his experience, that are some, you know, it's like as a leader, as, you know, as a company officer and now as a chief, there's some things that you saw and experience just like you can't do this you just, you just can't right we're talking obviously outside the obvious right you know no stealing no cheating stuff like that and some two non-negotiable items going to chief for sure was dishonesty and work avoidance so i want to lean on work avoidance we'll obviously talk about dishonesty as well work avoidance talk about that real quick because I, I think that's two different aspects right there's literally avoiding the the work the 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 the, the hard work the work that no one wants to do but then there's the element of not going above and beyond too. And I, I consider that work avoidance, right? Like, are we here to be average of what we do? Or are we in the fire service trying to aspire to be better than average and be the best of the best, right? I think the fire service calls for being better than just the status quo. And so when I think of work avoidance, I'm looking at not aspiring to be super good. It's also work avoidance. So I kind of want to see what your thoughts and why you call that a non-negotiable item it's real simple. Yeah. If, if, uh, what we do and, you know, we're privileged to be able to, you know, be trusted with people's property and their lives and everything. Um, we don't always hire the best people. And, uh, and I, you know, it's not like we're going to be able to hire all superstars. Um, I think that we owe it to the people that we serve to always take on the problem. And, you know, and I don't want to get wrapped up into the safety bubble, but there's a lot of conversation that has been going on in the last 10 years about, you know, well, you know, our safety first, which I understand we need to be safe. We can't get the job done if if, if we're being unsafe. But what level of risk are we willing to take as firefighters? And that is a discussion that could take years to have. I mean, yeah. there's there's the book Risk by McChrystal. Um, there's there's a lot of discussion going on. Um, Dr. Uh, Preston Klein talks about risk. And when you look at like what military does and what law enforcement does and the fire service, we're kind of like it's like we're sitting back cautiously trying to figure out what where do we sit in this? And there is a there, you know, there's there's a, a minority that looks at them, you know, looks at their the work and they go, man, I, I'm not here to risk my life for somebody else. And I would say. I think you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that's why you were brought on to do, you know, we, 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 we don't take uncalculated risk, but right. we will take a level of risk. And so I don't want to say that that's, that's uh, work avoidance, but I think that those individuals that have that kind of mentality, then, 
you know, they're like, Hey man, I'll, I'll mop the floors. I'll clean the bathrooms. I'll do those types of things. But, but this other stuff, I, you know, it's just, it's not in my job description. I, and I would argue that what really is our job description as, as first responders. And a lot of it has been coming to light with this, you know, some of the stuff that has gone on with the police officers, uh, particularly the one officer with the school shooting mm-hmm. that, you know, basically ran from the school and, and left, um, citizens are going to hold them accountable. Look at uh, yeah. Valdi yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Citizens are going to hold, hold us accountable to, to what we do. So either, you know, if it's not your gig, then, then go do something else. It's all right. Mm-hmm. But um, our job is to protect the citizens that we serve and, and protect their property to some level. And, uh, and I want, you know, I want guys and gals that are into the job and that are willing to train hard to be good at what they do. You know, the, the best way we reduce our risk is through training. And right. when crews don't want to train on a regular basis, every single day is a training day, in my opinion. Yep. And my company officers know that. And we're fortunate because we're hiring so many. Yep. Every company I have has a probie or two sometimes. And they're putting in three hours of training a day just to keep up on the probie stuff. And then they got to train on company level stuff. Yes. And still go on call, calls and and everything else. So you know, I I guess I don't want it to sound like somebody's walking away from work and they just don't. It's like it's more than that. It's it's more yeah. like, you know, do you take the job serious? Are you willing to put in the the time and the effort? And you do you, do you realize what our true mission is? Okay. And we take an oath. We take an oath to protect. Exactly. And uh, and not, I don't think everybody takes that serious. And uh, and so you know, I guess just do the job. Yeah. is what it comes down to me. And I, I mean, that's, I get criticized sometimes by in my department and maybe, well, I just get criticized maybe in my department is being too hard or too critical. And I'm like, no, if you come to work and you're willing to work hard, you and I are going to get along real well. And I'm not the guy that's sitting in, in my office doing absolutely nothing. I like to go out and train with the crews. I like to be with the crews. I do it to my level. I mean, I, I realize I, I start rolling hose and a probe just about, comes out of their skin when they see me rolling hose and I'm like, uh-huh. huh, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You know, let me roll one section of hose, yeah. Yeah. but, um, but putting in the time yeah. training, putting in, in the job work, uh, it, it pays off. And so that's, that's just something I have a hard time with. So yeah, I've had as a company officer, I've had certain individuals that come and they just try to, well, I just, I look at it as avoid work. Yeah. And we just don't get along very well. And, uh, and then they usually want to go somewhere else. And unfortunately, they go somewhere else and they're able to hide. Yeah. And uh and somebody else that might be there, maybe a company officer that's just not into it either, is like, hey man, come here. You know, the nest, the nest is great here. Yeah. And uh so yeah, Absolutely. I guess that's that to try to answer it. That's yeah. that's one of the things I have a problem with. No, and I, I love that. It's striving to do just a little bit more, right? So it, it doesn't have to be quantum leaps on a day-to-day basis or on a shift-to-shift basis, right? The one percent, right? If you're being intentional about being a little bit better every day. You're going to be a lot better in 100 days. So um, I think that's what you get caught up in is, is, is that if you want to train to be great, you have to spend half the day training. No, you don't. Maybe on some days you might spend four or five, six hours training. But if you're if you're intentionally about, let's just do a little bit every single day, every single shift. Some days do more. At the end of the day, that's I think that's what it's all about. And I think, you know, the fire service is it's meant to be that way, too. It's it, you're, we're meant to continuously get better because we're constantly changing. We're changed so much in the last five years let alone the last 20 
and we're rapidly changing faster today than we were five and 10 years ago. So um, if you're not, and it, it goes back to a sports analogy. So I always, you know, uh, sympathize and empathize with people that don't uh, watch sports and they start listening to this podcast, probably turn it off when I talk about sports, but it's like, it, it's, if you're not being a little bit better every day, your competition and not to say that our peers are competitors because we're all on the same team. Right. But they're going to surpass you because they are getting better or, our competitors, our peers, the fire services are all raising their levels of expectation and standards and in terms of just being better. So if you're just staying status quo, you're actually getting worse because everyone else is getting better, just like in sports. And so to even maintain a level, a level of, uh, let's say, expertise or proficiency, you have to be getting at least a little bit better every day or you're, you're, you're getting behind. So um, it's, it's, it's performing in sports, profe- you know, our profession, yeah. military, uh, police. It's all performance based, right? Yeah, and exactly. we're here to perform and do a job and we better be good at it. And I will say, when I came in in the late 80s, man, the stuff that the probies are having to do today and the work that they have to put in, I probably would have been able to figure it out back then. Yeah. But, you know, the fire service is more complicated than than when I first started. And, yeah. and I realized that. But um, and the bar keeps on getting raised higher and higher it is and um and and we'll work through it we'll work through it but it's it it is definitely it's a different it's a different profession it's a different profession yes and so let's let's lean on that so this is the hot coffee time it uh this is where we get to unpack something that's either a hot topic or something semi-controversial and you and i talked about this a little bit on the phone call we had um over the summer and it's a uh you had mentioned a changing workforce you mentioned uh, adjusting requirements and or standards for a changing workforce. So uh, this is going to be a very interesting discussion. And I want to see where, where you lead us down because uh, this will be this will be good to go back and forth on. So talk about what it is that you're referring to in terms of the adjustment of requirements and or the changing workforce. There is a there is a recruitment and retention crisis going on in in first with there is in yes. regards to first responders, police and, and fire fire now. Um when I think back to the eighties, when I was taking a test, you were testing for, you know, what seemed like a handful of jobs and it was just, you'd be in line. You, I mean, just the amount of tests that you had to do, it took forever to get a job. And today, you know, I don't want to say we're handing out jobs, but today there's just jobs are plentiful in the fire service. A lot of them. Yeah. And, and uh, the workforce has changed. And I don't, and I don't mean this negatively. They're just like society has changed. Yeah. You know, I was raised in a different time, different era, and now, now kids are raised, including my my own son. I mean, he's thirty five, so he's he's much older. But um, these days, the, the workforce is is trained a little bit differently. <clears throat> and for our profession, and for the military, and for the police, we are we are so. Um, we're so blue collar. Mm-hmm. We haven't replaced everything that we do. So you, you've you got to be physically fit. You got to be, a, we're a tactical athlete, essentially. Yeah. So you got to be physically fit. You got to be able to do the job and you got to be able to be willing to do this type of work. And what's happening is our pay is gr- great. I mean, I hope it everybody is. that, I hope everybody that's listening to your podcast is working for a department that you're going, man, I, I'm just so blessed to have the 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 job that I have, the benefits that I have, the you know retirement, all that kind Agreed. of stuff. Agreed. But so we're we're now attracting a group of a group of people that are coming in that you know really just 
probably wouldn't be fit for this job. And it's, and it's not, doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what sex you are. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. It's just, they're just not, they're just not prepped for this job. What we started to see coming in the Academy is as we're hiring some school teachers and some real estate agents and these individuals, they are in no shape to be going to the Academy. And then when we look at the CPAT, when, when that test, I mean, that test is just basic and, and we had, we had to be somewhere. I mean, I remember the day that we didn't have that. We just, it was just Auburn had this test and Bellevue had this test and Everett had this test. Yeah. And, uh, but now, you know, that I don't think that the standard to get in reflects what the work really requires of us. And some would say, well, maybe we need to adjust, you know, the ergonomic ergonomics of our job and we need to I go, our nozzles are lighter. Our hoses are lighter. The only thing that really hasn't changed, the, the Halligan bar still weighs the same. An eight-pound flathead axe is an eight-pound flathead axe. The ground ladders basically, you know, outside of Bellevue, yeah. you know, everybody's <laughs> ground ladders essentially are the same. Uh, those haven't changed. But a lot of our operations have gotten better, have gotten quicker. Our, our gear has gotten a little bit heavier. I mean, when I first came in, our gear was was lighter and, and not as bulky. But we we've got to we've got to actually start as we're testing, we got to actually test to what we need people to be able to do, what we yeah. need new firefighters to be able to do. Because at the academy, we spend a lot of time just trying to get our recruits into physical shape to do yeah. the jobs that we're doing. Yeah. And and if we don't do that, what's going to end up happening is the standards going to be changed. And that's what a lot of organizations, including mine, is facing. Hey, we should. We've had this standard for 20 years. Maybe we shouldn't do it. I'm like, well, why do we want to change the standard? Well, and, I, and I, I'm like, no, we we can have small firefighters mm-hmm. raise a, a, you know, do a single firefighter raise. We There's plenty of them that that do it, but we've got a handful of them that, that can't do it. So should we change our standard or should we continue moving forward with our standard and, and make sure we're hiring the right people? And encouraging these individuals and helping them out in ways that making them understand. I mean, like to go from being a teacher or a librarian to being a firefighter is two different worlds. And uh, and we need to get we I mean, I think we need to be recruiting more from the military and we need to be killing it in the D2 schools because most of those athletes are not going to go on to professional sports and they're looking for a team and they're in great shape. And um, we should just be just just rolling those schools. Even the D1 schools. Yeah, there's a lot of D1 schools that uh, you know athletes that don't go on to don't yeah. go on to the pro- professional pro. sports. But but my my challenge that I'm seeing as I'm getting ready to leave is, and I'm not as good as I used to be. You know, I'm not as in as in as as in shape as I used to be 20 25 years ago. But I still can do all the standards that you know I expect of of my recruits. And now we're you know we're we're seeing a lot of departments starting to change their standards and um and and it just it just it's bothersome to me has academies in your experience changed at all in the last we'll just say from today to 10 years ago obviously changing workforce like you're saying hiring individuals that you know weren't previous volunteers or come from a different profession if you will in other direction of the fire service has the academy changed at all like I, I know things evolve sometimes back when you know, we'll just say 15 years ago maybe an academy was 12 13 14 weeks maybe somewhere in 16 18 weeks to add you know, whether it be value or add time for more physical activity, for more drill time, if you will, to get these people prepped. So I'm wondering in your experience in your organization or maybe up north in that in that county, has academy 
added days to assist with maybe the change in workforce or what else has changed? Um, when I went to the academy, it was it was more about like just being beat up and you know it was it was more like the um, the military perspective as some people think and and um and it was only i think it was only 8 weeks long i was only 2 2 months right. you know when i went to the six. academy yeah and and now you know you start looking at it is we and i'm i'm all about the adult learning environment and i we don't need to hammer recruits and having them do pushups <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 we're not DIs. We're not in the military, Agreed. but, um, but we, we do have a, you know, we want, we want thinking firefighters and I'm all about that. And I love it. I think it's great. And we are doing better in that regards. Um, I just think that we're, so to answer the question, yes, the academies have gotten longer. Ours is uh, 13 weeks long now up here in Snohomish County. Uh, my department has at least a month pre-academy before that interesting okay and uh and they're doing they meet up with a um we have one of our firefighters is a uh you know he's got his kinesiology degree and he's a he's a uh, fitness instructor so he he sets up their program for them we have a nutritionist come in she's um her husband's a seattle firefighter and she's i believe the nutritionist now for the uh, University of Husky football team. Oh, and that. so, so we put a lot of time and effort into these recruits to make sure that they have the right fuel. They understand their bodies. They understand what it's going to take. Um, they are, you know, being, being educated in, in fitness. And what's interesting though, is that as that is this, this didn't have to happen 10, 15 years ago, as, as you said, it's like a lot of individuals were coming out of volunteer or part-time programs. And so you, you kind of like, the volunteer, or I should say the part-time program primarily prepared you, you either made it or you didn't. Right. And then you gave up and you just like, I'm not doing this job. And so when we were hiring out of these part-time programs, we were getting individuals, males and females that were physically fit, capable, understood the job, understood the work, you know, all of that. Now that we're not seeing that as much, we're, we're struggling a little bit. So now we see these recruits coming in um, and they are, out of shape and they, they need a lot of work. And sure. when I was at the Academy, one of the things that I talked to our fire chiefs and our consortium was we all have to do a little bit more. And, and, you know, then, then there's pushback because my city council is not going to allow me to have them come on a month ahead of time to prepare them. They should be prepared. Like, well, is that our fault or is it their fault? You know, if we do a CPAT and the CPAT doesn't really match to what is going to be expected in recruit school, then they're going to get injured fairly quickly, or they're going to be, in, you know, incapable of doing the the task because they've got an injury that they're trying to trying to you know heal, and then now they start losing time. And we have, you know, there are certain things that need to be done that need to be evaluated for you to continue on, and then then we have to recycle them. So I do think the academies have changed, and it's and it's not it's not the academy. It's just what I what I'm having a hard time with is we're starting to look for ways that we can change things to allow, a, you know, maybe a, a group of individuals that probably are just, they're just not capable of being firefighters for, for whatever reason. And uh, you know what? I, I always wanted to be a major league baseball player. Guess what? I'm five, seven, five, eight on a good day. And uh, I, and you know, I can't hit the, I can't hit a slider. So I'm, I'm out. Right. And, right. and I just got to accept the fact that I'm going to be a, a spectator and I can play at a different level, 
but I'll never be, I'll never be a professional baseball player. And the reason I, I, uh, I bring it up is I'm, I, I'm involved with the work um, in, in my organization and, and in King County. So we are actively uh, trying to get into schools. We, you know, we did a workshop at JBLN to try to recruit more, you know, the military into our, into our organization. So we're there. I, I, I believe we're lacking in, in many areas and recruitment and retention, as you mentioned at the very, very beginning of this discussion is, is one area that we, the fire service needs to be a little bit better. If we do want to bring in individuals from, from other careers, if you will, or transitioning careers, whether it be from sports or the military or other, but then at the same time, we, we have to invest too. It's not going to happen by accident. You know, we want this, we want a change in workforce. We want, you know, whether it be different groups, whether it be female, whether it be people of color, whatever it might be, but we have to be intentional about it and not just have it land in our lap, right? We need to get into and show face. We need to. And so um, I, I was wondering, you mentioned the one week pre-academy, which in my eyes, one people, month, one month. Oh, sorry. What did I say? Yep. You said one week. Oh, one week. Sorry. One month. And I, I like the pre-academy simply because, you know, if we're going to, and I know obviously we can go both ways on this is so as you, the, the thought process of, well, if the individual say was a volunteer, they might not need less pre-academy time because they, you know, they might not need, you know, introduction to X, Y, or Z. Um, but then if we were going to say hire individuals that came from a different workforce, if you will, from a different career, that pre-academy is going to be huge for them. So at least there's investment in that, I guess, and not just, well, here you are, good luck. And so it's something that we don't get in my organization. We, we get maybe a week, a week of pre-academy. And so I like the investment. I'll just, I'll just add this. I mean, we were at JBLM as, as well with you guys. Oh, you uh, were? I was, okay. I'm not on the team, but there's a group of individuals, but we're having to do something that the fire service in this region has never had to do. And that is try to recruit people. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm all about uh, having a diverse workforce. But we got we got to do some work to to get there, right? Agreed. And then the other thing that has changed is is trying to prep them for the type of work that we're doing, and uh, and it's it is different now. Um, our our pre academy is typically a month. Uh, this this recruit class that's get ready to go to the academy uh, next week or the week after next is going to be they're going to have six weeks, and then they have a post academy okay. of at least a month. So, wow. but when you look at like LAFD, for instance. I want to say their academy is 22 or 26 weeks long, you know, and the typical academy in our region is three months long. And, but when you start looking at like our pre-academy plus the academy plus post-academy, we basically have them in on books. It looks like six months just getting them ready. Now, the other thing that we can do is the idea of trying to get them ready for, for, for the Academy. Now, some departments say, look, I don't have, we don't have the time or the money to be able to do it. And we're fortunate to be able to do that. But one of the things talking with um, our physical fitness guy is we need to create videos. And what we do is we create these videos that are on YouTube and we say, congratulate, here's your conditional offer. Congratulations. Your Academy is going to start in three months. You're going to report one month before the Academy for a pre-Academy with the department but let us show you some skills and these things you need to be able to do and, you know, and just go through and show them these workouts that they can do on their own in the gym, you know? Um, But if they're not going to be doing them, then, then the fault is on them. Agreed. Right. And when we put forth the effort from the very beginning, we do these videos, then, then we can get a more diverse, we can get a, you know, a better workforce 
All I want, again, I'll go back to the work avoidance and everything else. Yeah. I just want individuals that are going to come here and want to, they want to sweat with me. They want to bleed with me and they just want to do the work and enjoy it with a smile on their face and just say, I'm glad to be here yeah. because I, I sure as hell am. And the videos thing I, I, I like, I was, uh, we had Manny Romero. He's actually the occupational health therapist for Seattle. I'm, I'm not sure if you know him, but he runs a pre-academy. Well, it's not even a pre-academy. They call it recruit prep, which they do two months leading up. And they do a fire prep, which happens months and months before. But they build videos. They invite them in. People that have conditional offers. And they say, hey, we can't put you on payroll for six months ahead of time, right? But here's some resources for you to help prep you so you're not showing up to the academy completely out of shape, which who knows why that happens in the first place anyway. But it, it does happen, right? Uh, but it gives them resources ahead of time to help um, with the, you know, with, with those transition into uh, what some people would argue, maybe not physically or mentally ready to be in the fire service. But if you're going to hire them, may, 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 giving a resource is going to be better than giving them nothing. So, yeah. Um, well, the mil- military does it too. I mean, when I was, when I was in high school and I was joining the Marines and was going to go to boot camp every weekend, we were running with the, yeah. not with the DIs, we were running with our recruit recruiters and a bunch of Marines that were in the area. Yeah. And we were doing pull-ups and we we're doing the push-ups. We we're going through all the the stuff that was going to be expected of us to go to boot camp because yeah. they wanted us to be successful. Yeah. Right. And we should do we should be doing very similar things. It's just we just had had we haven't had to do this yeah. as a fire service before and Previously. we're struggling through. Yeah. So we'll go yeah. 20 years from now, it'll be like this will be everybody will be doing it. And it'll just be the norm for the fire service. It'll be the norm. Yes. It's the massive change all of a sudden. And then 10, 20 years, like you said, it'll It'll be more of a norm. Let's let's do this. This is my favorite part of the episode. Rapid fire. Um, this is where we get to ask uh, you, Chief, to give some tips. You've obviously given a lot of tips to our listeners today, but now talk to specific groups of individuals to start basically growing themselves as as leaders uh, wherever they're at in their career. And so the first one is kind of a, a newer firefighter, right? Whether it be a recruit, you know, a probationary firefighter, maybe an apprentice, someone that's early in their career. What's something that you would recommend that those groups of individuals start doing today to basically grow as leaders early on. Yeah. So first thing I would say is, is that um, with the internet and the ability to be able to see so much things, you know, go to conferences, I'm going to go back to in the nineties, there wasn't as many conferences as there is today. And um, you can go anywhere you can find all the, you know, tips and tricks of fire service for hose, for truck company operations, whatever it is. And uh, the other day we were doing, I was doing my pro B evaluation and um, we have standards that you have, you have to be able to perform, you know, in your probation. And the pro B said when we were going over that, it was like, it was, it looked like as he was stretching that he had this kind of clump of, of hose. And, and so he said, well, I, I was, I was doing a modified, accordion forward stretch I'm like what's a modified one you, we you're supposed to just do the accordion forward stretch he's like well I, I did this instead and did that instead and um and really what it came down to is like hey look man um stay inside the box there's a lot of people that say hey i want i want you to get outside the box you know think outside the box like no 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 when you're when you're young especially it was a recruiter or a probie you're a couple years on the job Stay inside the box and, and get a good understanding of what's inside the box. When you truly can understand the inside of the box, then you can really get outside and you can then, you know, you can then do some of these skills and not that you can't physically do them, right. but 
how do you how do you know the tip and the trick if you yeah. can't do the basics and it's you, we can apply it to sports yeah i love it you 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 got to be able to do the basics of sports basketball yeah. You better be good with your free throws. Exactly. Baseball, you better learn how to bunt. And I mean, looking at the Little League World Series, I, you know, I'm, I love baseball. Yeah. Watching the Little League World Series over the last couple of weeks, I just, it was flooring me the number of kids that couldn't lay down a bunt. But that is basics. Yeah. That is basics. So if you can't learn to do a bunt and you're already trying to swing for the fence, yeah. there's a problem. So, you know, I stole this from Brian Brush, good buddy of mine. He'd say, tricks of the trade. You better understand the trade before you understand the tricks. Oh, I love it. And so that would be the thing that I would tell the younger firefighters is be really, really good at the basics. Be okay. good at the basics. Just know them inside and out. And when you're good at that, then I, I encourage you to go out and learn the tricks and start doing some other things and, and challenging it. But but hold that standard. Love it. Yeah. Fundamentals first, then the trickery later. That's perfect. Yeah. Like NFL, right? You're not doing the onside kicks before you're doing the basic, you know, kickoff, right? I mean, you got to do those 500 times before you really try the, you know, the onside or the Hail Mary type of thing. So I love it. Uh, the emerging leader, how about the newer company officer, maybe a new training officer, maybe an aspiring officer. What's something that those groups can do to, to start growing as leaders? Well, one of the challenges that we get, dis- we discuss all the time in the fire service is should you require college education for firefighters, for company officer, for battalion? I mean, again, when I started, you didn't have to, you, you, you basically became, you had to have your associate's degree to test for battalion. And now, you know, most everybody has gone to requiring almost having a bachelor's degree to be a battalion. But so this argument about college, college doesn't give you anything other than gives you the ability to be disciplined, have, you know, organize your day to have critical thinking, to be able to articulate, you know, your, your opinion, um, but the biggest thing for me and watching the new newer generation come in is they they their communication skills on the level of written communication, they don't have no problem communicating as long as it's in text and emojis. <laughs> and um, and so I would say you you want to be a good company officer, look, you got to look the part. And if if you were raised in the 2000s and you, you know, you're really good at your texting and everything. Text does not belong when we're we're doing official communications, when you're sending emails and when you're doing your reports and all that kind of stuff. And, and maybe I sound like the old guy that just like, hey, you, you know, write this is a sentence, write out a sentence, you know, know how to use punctuation. I'm not asking you to do the fancy stuff with semicolons and, you know, all that stuff. I just like you got to be able to articulate and communicate clearly and professionally and that's one of the things as a battalion, as I'm reading reports and I'm going, oh man, I don't yeah. know that acronym. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's not one of the ones that I know, which is LOL, OMG, yeah. you know. The emoji face, right? <laughs> Wait, what's that one supposed to mean? Yeah. Was he crying or was he laughing? Was it? <laughs> no, but I love that piece. I mean, good communication, right? We talk about this all the time. I mean, in, in any profession, right? The fire service is no different. Being a communicate a good communicator is going to help you succeed in whatever industry that you're in. And we're talking not only you know per, interpersonal communication. We're talking about like you like you were talking about written communications, right? Uh, especially as you as you climb the ranks, right? I'm a lieutenant now, and I can't in, in train division more more uh, you know more importantly, it's like I have to communicate with 14 different fire departments. If I cannot write a good email without spell checking, without good grammar without whatever you hopefully without uh, an lol and emoji but I, I represent 
not only my organization, but I represent 15 departments. And so the ability to communicate well in person and through email and through text and through a phone call, face-to-face, different ranks, subordinates, peers, all of it, right? I mean, that's a part of it. And like I mentioned this all the time, and I'll say it again here is we focus so heavily, which we need to, right? I'm not devaluing understanding that you need to know the fundamentals of the job. You need to, you know, throw ladders, pull hooks. Absolutely, right? That's uh, what I'm saying now is not saying don't do those things, but how intentional are we as we climb the ranks, as we want to progress, be an aspiring officer? Are we working on being a good communicator? Are we obtaining higher education? Are we working on social skills? And if the answer is no, it's like, well, I mean, maybe we need to, right? It's just an element of professionalism. Yeah, and professionalism is where it comes down. Yeah, and and so, I mean, the communication aspect of it being that you're listening or you're you're talking with people or you're you're writing, but it's just like, on the professional side of things, when you're going to write something down, make it look good. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to write a novel. You don't have to, you know, it just, it, it needs to look good. It needs to, to you got to use real words. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. How about the established leader? You know, you're a battalion chief yourself here, but talk to chief officers. It could be battalions. It could be division chiefs, assistant chiefs, the fire chief himself. What's something, because obviously growth is continuous, right? We never really made it anywhere in the fire service, it's a journey and whatever rank or position or tenure that you got, you didn't make it. You're still hopefully still going and aspiring for more. What's something established or senior leaders of organizations can do to start and continue growing as leaders? Well, I would just, I, I never made it above battalion. And so all this from the perspective of battalion chief. So if I was talking to company officers for aspiring battalion chiefs or something that's newly promoted to battalion, I would say, Hopefully your organization is structured so that you can you can be what truly a battalion chief should be. And that is somebody that manages their people. So staffing that manages resources. So within the battalion, making sure that you're managing so that one station can be training, the other stations covering their area or or there's a significant call going on and movement of, of resources into your battalion to help cover and in training and developing your firefighters. And so the thing that's really frustrating for me, and I've only been a battalion chief now for six years, um, the number of battalions that don't go out and train with their people, you know, training is like, Hey, I got to get my CBT done, or I got to do this. And uh, I go, but I look at it as if you're not out with your people, one, they don't trust you. Um, so it's a relationship, it's re- relationship building thing. Um, you don't know the tempo that they go. You don't know what they're capable of doing because every company is a little bit different in their capabilities. There are certain companies that I would, you know, be more comfortable with them performing a VES operation than others. Um, and I know that because I go out and I train with with mm-hmm. with my my people. Um, so I would say getting out right if you have to, if you're one of those those types of leaders that you've got to have everything written down on your calendar then put it on your calendar. Yeah, It's that important that you get out and you don't have to meet up with every station every single day to train with them, but you you need to put it on every day that you're at work. You know, if we, if we're going to tell them every day is a training day, well, that means every day is a training day for you too. Yeah. And yes, there are other elements that, that battalions have to train in. Um, and I would say like, the thing that I try to do is I try to stay away from my paperwork during the day. I'll do my paperwork at night or I'll wake up early in the morning, do my paperwork because 
I'm fortunate. I get to sleep through most of the nights, you know, unless it's a significant call. And so I leave my day open to basically be with the crews and to go out and have the opportunity to train with them. If, if one of my company officers said, Hey, we're going to do a drill at 10 o'clock tonight. Cause I want to do a night drill with a probie. I'm all in, wow. I'm all in. Yeah. I'll be there. I won't, I, maybe I won't be there for the full two hours or whatever the duration of the drill is, but I'm going to show up. Yeah. I'm going to let them know that I care about them and that I'm, you know, I'm interested in their drill and, and I'm going to participate at some level, you know? And, uh, and I think that it's just, it's critical uh, as a, as a battalion chief, because you got to know what your people are capable of doing. No, I love that. And like you said, you got to build, establish that relationship too. I mean, you want the crews to, know, first of all, feel comfortable with battalion chief being there, but also, you know, you want them to throw the invite out there too. You know, maybe the battalion chief had something going. If, you know, sometimes they forget, but as you're saying, put it on the calendar, right? You don't find time for things. If it's important, you make the time for things, put it on the calendar. So it's there and it's okay if it, uh, if it overrides, you know, the nine o'clock cleaning the bathrooms, right? You could move the bathrooms to nine o'clock at night, if you will. But I'll, I'll, I'll further that and just say for the company officers out there, invite the battalion chief, give them the heads up ahead of time and say, hey, 10 o'clock, we're here and hopefully you can make it. So kind of a two-way street type thing going back to communication is, you know, if they're not going to always be proactive, maybe something going on, something we don't know about, throw the invite out, invite them out. And then it'll be more of a regular thing. If they know it's a two way, you're inviting me, I'm showing up, let's make this regular. So I'll add to that. Um, when I was a company officer and there was, um, when we were teaching with fire town, there was a fire that had occurred in Snohomish County. And, and basically a decision was made for this crew not to do a pretty risky tactic, but something that we we're pretty comfortable with doing. And when I talked to the individuals who were involved, they were having a hard time with the decision that was made by the incident commander. And I'm like, man, I was, I was with them. Like, absolutely. You should have been able to do this. And why? Oh my gosh. And so I went to one of my mentors, um, uh, Mark Risen. Maybe you, maybe you I know Mark. Mark Risen. Bellevue. Bellevue. He became yeah. fire chief. He was yeah. the ops chief. And yeah. I did my, when I was doing my college stuff, I did my uh, internship um, okay. for executive officer with the Bellevue fire department. But anyways, I'm sitting down talking with uh, chief Risen and I'm telling him this whole thing. And he's like, Oh, that's simple. I'm like, what? He's like, that's a relationship issue like a relationship issue. And he's like, absolutely. He goes, you know, you guys on the ladder truck, you want to do, you want to do cool shit. You, you got to prove that you're capable of doing that. And if you don't have a relationship with your battalion chief, I don't care what you want to do. You ain't doing it. And I'm like, ah, Oh yeah. That, that really does strike yeah. a chord with me because as a company officer, if you don't include your battalion in the training that you're doing and you're like, man, we, I just learned this new, VES technique or this new yeah. whatever it is, or yeah. if the battalion does not feel comfortable with it and it. hasn't seen you do it, and uh, you know what, you're probably not going to get to do it. So yeah. if you want to do the cool stuff, <laughs> sorry I use the explorative there, but if you want to, <laughs> if you want to do the, uh, yeah. you want to do the cool stuff, yeah, you got to make sure that your boss is around to see that you're, you know, that what you're doing and what you're capable of, and you can explain it to them. Because maybe maybe that skill just wasn't what they were doing back 20 years ago when they were a company officer. Mm -hmm. And they just need to understand it a little bit more. So it, it's it's probably more important from what you said. It's critical that the company officers are inviting the BCs. And I know that gets done. What I'm saying is, BCs, when you get invited, go. Yeah, there you go. I love it. There you go. There's the message. I love that piece. And uh, after the leadership challenge, because I lie on this episode, I'll just be honest, uh, every piece is like my new favorite, right? We get to this, like, hey, here's my next favorite piece. Let's go here. And then I want to lean on one more uh, thing as you continue to talk about relationships and communication, because it's huge. And I think that's the 
the overarching message uh, to our listeners today from Chief Fisher is build those relationships and communicate early and often. So let's go to leadership challenge. So we end the episode with the leadership challenge because the goal is to spread this leadership conversation. And so it just continues, right? Uh, it need never end. The conversation furthers. Leadership is never ending. New messages, new philosophies will resonate with different people at different times. And so people can connect and, uh, and plug in wherever they're at. So we're going to ask the chief, is there someone out there that you would like to formally challenge to come talk leadership and share a message or philosophy here on the kitchen table? Well, there's, there's a number of people that I would, uh, it's so funny. To... Of course you'd say that, right? We had, you know, Frank Viscuso, Rick Lasky. I, I, I throw that and they say the exact same thing. Like, where do I even start? Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to bug you about 20, but uh, you know, one or two. And, you know, maybe if uh, I'll just shoot them an email and, you know, some, some, we've had a good fair amount of people that take them up and some don't obviously the busy or, or whatever reason that's okay too. And, you know, whatever uh, you feel comfortable sharing, if you are, and I'll, I'll shoot them an email. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I'm going to recommend, I'm going to keep it in the region. I mean, there's, I've got, I've definitely, I've got some friends in different parts of the country that would contribute, but I, I'm going to keep it in the region since uh, this is kind of like a, you know, a King County um, podcast. Uh, I'm going to say go everywhere. We go everywhere, but yes, you want to go everywhere. I mean, that's what you want your podcast to be, but um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call out Brendan Grace. All right. And Brendan is a newly promoted battalion in our department. Okay. And I've known Brendan, uh, God, I think he came on the job in our department in 2006. But the reason why, one, I want to challenge because this is not something he would normally do. And go. so I think it would be a really good challenge for him. And especially being a new BC, this is the stuff that you you get to do. He's a, he's a great company officer, um, which is part of the reason why he got promoted. Uh, he's also one of uh, the nozzle forward uh, cadre instructors. And so oh, he's he been teaching nozzle forward. Okay. He's been a lead at our academy um, in the host stuff. He he and uh, Derek Roberts and and Jay Bonifield pieced together the uh, the host program for our academy. So he's 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 well he's well versed in in our profession. And the other part that I like is he's he's kind of a, a quiet individual. He and uh he is a he is a definitely a strong leader and his values are great and he's got very strong family values. So I think it would be, I would, I tell you what, if you can get him on, I will definitely be listening to the podcast because I'd love to hear what he says. And I can awesome. share share his email address with you and get you in touch with him. The other person, sure. the other person I would call out is uh, uh retired captain John Tanaka from the Everett Fire Department. Oh. He was a lead instructor up at the State Fire Academy for a number of years. He retired out of the Everett Fire Department uh, due to an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is he is one of my mentors that I have I've learned a lot of stuff from from John over the years. And uh, he and I grabbed lunch uh, not long ago just to see how things are going and you know me getting ready for retirement and and uh, he had some great words of wisdom about retirement. And the best thing is he's like. If I could do it over again, these are the things that I would do different. And I yeah. think that type of perspective would be great Love coming it. from from John. Oh, perspective is huge. And I was going to go one route. I won't go both, but I'll go one. Um, uh, uncomfortable. You mentioned for, for Battalion Chief Brennan Grace, this would be something uncomfortable for him. But I think that's kind of what it's about, too, is for individuals to leave their comfort zone to grow, right? And we talk about this all the time on the podcast. It's like if you actually look at definition or a visual on growth 
and you're inside a circle of growth or a circle of comfort, if you will, how can one technically grow if they're stuck inside? So um, uncomfortable, I'll ask you the question, Chief, I'm putting on the spot a little bit. Would Chief Rob Fisher be Chief Rob Fisher if he did not seek out ways to be uncomfortable throughout his life and his career? Oh, no, I would have. Again, I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I'm at um, and have the opportunities that I'm doing now if it wasn't for, you know, taking some challenges in a day when, you know, you had to call somebody up on the phone and, and uh, you had to meet them in person to make a connection. If it wasn't for that, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, I, I believe in being uncomfortable. I think that's where you, like you said, I think that's where you get a lot of growth. And, um, a thing for me that, uh, that I was terrible at when I was first a company officer is I, I couldn't write. I was a terrible student and, um, and chief Jager, Janet Jager, she's the one that's like, look, you know, I think you're going to make a great company officer because you love the job so much, but you're terrible. You're terrible at reading and writing and all these things. I barely got through high school. And so um, I worked all the way up. I mean, my uncomfortableness was going to college and, you you know, got into my master's degree. And, and uh, I mean, I'm outside of my skill set definitely when it comes to that stuff. I'm not going to be like Corley Moore writing, writing books and (laughs) those types of things, but that was an uncomfortable, basically comfortable area for me for growth was, was education. Education. There you go. And now you're better because of forcing yourself in those zones. So First of all, thank you for that. And thank you for the uh, leadership challenge. We'll reach out to Brendan Grace and John Tanaka. Thank you so much. And we can continue. So right before I go to leadership thoughts, lasting leadership thoughts, that is, I want to ask one more thing because you mentioned men- mentorship so much. So talk a little bit very, uh, briefly too. I don't want to uh, you know, take too much more of it. You mentioned it a couple of times. Young officers on fire. How do we find young, young officers on fire? How can emerging leaders, how can myself get, get onto that, connect? Learn what other you learn what you're talking about, and uh, just to become better myself and for our listeners, what do what do we do to find young officers on fire? Well, it's it's emerging now. Uh, we we were primarily on Facebook and have a closed group. So there's young officers on fire on Facebook, which is a, an open group where you can see some of the stuff that's going on, and then within it there is a closed group that you have to answer a few questions and and basically you know show interest that you want to want to join. And then within that closed group, um, we have a lot of conversations going on and individuals pop out like, hey, I got this challenge going on or whatever it is. So currently we're on Facebook, but we're right now working on our our website and we're going to get off of Facebook and get more on the web. And it's uh, it's probably a couple months out, but um, Young Officers on Fire. uh, dot com, as I believe is what it's going to end up being. And and that's going to have connection to the classes that we're doing, the me- the mentoring that we're doing, and then allow for you to get into the groups and, and yes. be a part of those those things. Perfect. Love it. Continued mentorship. Learning never ends. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, we'll 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 look for that. So before I let you go here, Chief, lasting leadership thoughts to our listeners before we close on the kitchen table. Well, I wrote it down just because I've been doing a lot of reading and I, you know, I I have several books and several podcasts that I'm into. And and one of the areas that I go to a lot is the Harvard business review. Okay. And uh, I got into that because of college. And so I've always kept my subscription up and just recently I was reading an article. And so um, it's done by Ron, Ron Friedman, and it's called five things high-performing teams do differently. And I think it's really cool because I, uh, in, in my leadership 
lectures and and in the mentoring, we always are talking about high performing teams and it's built off of trust, which again, we talked earlier that relationships, ownership, and having some type of personal accountability. And that, you know, basically high performing teams are obsessed with the job or whatever they're doing, athlete, and they're obsessed with getting better at it, training and being the best that they possibly can. So but the five things that uh, in this article that uh, Ron Friedman discusses, high perform high performance teams are not afraid to pick up the phone. And it's kind of funny because when you look yeah. at today's society, you know, we do a lot of texting and communicating. We don't want to do things face to face or we don't we'd rather just text somebody. And so um, what he basically describes there is they have a willingness to want to connect on a personal level. And sometimes that needs to be by phone. And, and if you could do it in person, we'd be great. Uh, They're also more strategic with their meetings, meaning that when they're going to have a meeting, like you and I are having this meeting, we plan it out. We have it organized. We don't, you know, there's a time and a place for organic and just let things go. But when you do that, you get so distracted and you lose track of time or whatever it may be. So they're very strategic in, in what they're doing with their meetings. They invest time bonding. This is probably the biggest one. They invest time bonding over non-work topics. Uh, So when I was a company officer, my driver who drove for me for 17 of my 20 years, there was one year where the operations chief said to the battalion, I don't care, but those two are not working together anymore. When I see Rob, I see Chad. And when I see Chad, I always see Rob. And he was an old military guy that believed that this buddy boss relationship thing shouldn't exist. And that that is all changed in the in the you know in the military. I mean, they they encourage the relationships with you know within the team. And high performing teams are they get connected because they do things outside of work. So we don't have to always talk work. We're talking about life. We're talking about what our values are, spiritual or whatever it may be. But we're talking about other things. And that bond builds us stronger as a high-performing team. And um, John Gucci Foley is a as a former Blue Angel pilot, and he's got talks on YouTube and everything. And he's constantly talking about how with the Blue Angels, the relationships and how they are together, they are one family. And that's including the individuals that are turning wrenches on the planes to to the ones that you know are that are part of the show. And the ones that, you know, just make sure that they get from one place to the other. They're very tight as a family. And so that's what makes them a high-performing team. Oh, I love that. Another one is give and receive appreciation more frequently. And we need to be better at that, that we need to recognize this is something that, you know, if I were to add company officers and battalion chiefs need to do is, is that we need to recognize our people for the, for the great actions that they do. And, and it's not just heroic actions and those types of things. It's like, when, when they're running a really good ship and, you know, in, in their station, you know, coming in, like just telling a company officer, like, man, I, I really appreciate the fact that the, the probie acknowledges me when I come in and always wants me to know if I want to have a cup of coffee and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it is. But I know that a lot of that comes from the company officer that's setting the tone for the station, whatever it is, but just recognizing your people and, and giving them, you know, what they, you know, they, they deserve to be recognized. And then the last thing is, they're authentic at work. We need more authenticity in our people. You know, going back to what we talked about with relationships and mm-hmm. the used car salesman. You, you know, you can you can be good with people, but if you're not authentic, forget about it. Forget yeah. about it. And okay. so 
Yeah. So appreciate the job that we have. Uh, We're very fortunate to have such a great profession. Um, It's all I ever wanted to do since I was a kid. I've been doing it for a long time. I know retirement's coming around the corner. Uh, It's going to be a sad day, but you know, I'm still going to be connected when I leave, but um, we're very, very, very fortunate to be able to do what we do. And so um, as, as the blue angels always say, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for your message. And thank you obviously for, for everything that you've given back to the fire service. And uh, obviously even in retirement, I'm sure we'll find Rob Fisher to, cause you'll stay connected as we talk about, you know, connections and networking and obviously your passion. I'm sure like many, um, we'll stay connected somehow. So just to summarize to all the listeners, right. Chief Fisher talks, relationships, communication, pick up the phone, meet with someone face to face, plan, organize things. If it's important, put on the calendar, don't find time, make time, invest time bonding and non-work stuff, give and receive appreciation more frequently. And last, obviously, but not least, stay authentic in everything that you do. Otherwise everything else is a fraud. So uh, thank you for that to you. Why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, close and uh, we'll chat on the side. So thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable and we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead and to spread the leadership conversation until next time, be safe, be intentional and stay curious.